Remind me to pick up mom's present tomorrow. Hey Siri, remind me about family game night on Friday afternoon. Hey Siri, remind me about the parent-teacher conference tomorrow. Hey Siri, remind me to call grandma today. Hey Siri, remind me to schedule the kids' dentist appointments. Hey Siri. 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 All right, all right. Where's all my busy families at? Everybody, everybody all staying busy? All right. <laughs> Come on, today is a reminder to the busy family about what matters and prioritizing those things. And again, we're going to be talking about work. So uh, it's going to be good. I want to welcome everybody who's also watching online, all my Facebook friends and live stream participants and attendees. Uh, for whatever reason that kept you in bed today, now we hope that you're feeling better, uh, unless it was just the warmth of the bed itself. To, to which we would say, you got to be here. You know, you got you to come. You got to come on out. But, uh, but no, we're glad that you're watching today. And uh, but look, before, today, before we get into today's message, I, I wanted to kind of make an announcement about something that is honestly very, very near and dear to my heart. And it's this. Um, we've been working on a project for a couple of years. Uh, and, and this past Friday, we actually released our, uh, a, a new album, a new worship album here from the church. Yeah. So... We're, we're really excited about this album. It's called Who You Are. And uh, today, by the way, you can pick them up. We got CDs for sale in the cafe in the North Lobby. But you can also access it on Spotify, iTunes, all that good stuff. Um, I mean, first things first. I mean, you know, we get, we get like, what, 0. 0.00007 cents per play, I think, Anthony, something like that on Spotify. Woo! So that's, that's really where it's at right there. But, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, but this, I kind of want to tell you a little bit about what this represents for us. Um, a couple years ago, me and Anthony and uh, another guy named Nate, we, we started just hanging out and getting together and started writing some, some music, not with any sort of plan, just like, hey, let's, let's jam out, you know, let's just get together. And, and we began to write some songs that really, I mean, we, we liked, first off, we just thought they were great and really were some expressions of what was going on in our lives. And, and we began to write and then uh, actually got picked up by a, a label over in California that they kind of get behind churches who are kind of creating their own music. And so hooked up with them. And, and this, this release is, is that. But every song on this album, it, it means something to us. And there's a, there's, a, there's a deep meaning behind it. And so it's been really fun to do. Uh, it's been a lot of work. But it also, I think it represents kind of who we are as a church and who we are, uh, I mean, talent-wise. Man, we got some incredible people that, that serve each week and, uh, and some of which are on the album. But I want you guys to really support it. I just ask that you would support it. And uh, uh, you don't have to buy, everybody doesn't have to buy a CD, unless you really want to. It's up to you. But this is what I want to ask you to do to listen to it and to listen to it from the context of like, man, what is this song speaking to me, right? Because this song means something to each of us. And so I'd love to invite you in on that journey. But I also want to ask one person today who would say that I know someone who needs some good music and also needs some music that would actually speak to their life where they're at. And, and I'm going to give this away to them. Come on, anybody. Come on, I saw your hand first. I saw your hand first. Come on, come get it. But you can't keep it. You can't keep it. Somebody hold her accountable. No, I trust you. There you go. Give it away. And uh, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be a good, good. Uh, there's a lot of songs on there that are extremely, uh, they're really depthy. And, you know, we probably need to put out one of those things where you like, you talk over the song and you like explain what the song's about. It's probably be good, but we're going to do that right now. Just hit play on it. And uh, I'm just going to begin to explain. So this song is actually about, no, we're not doing that. But, all right. Ephesians, Ephesians. A reminder to a busy family, and again, this is sort of about all of us in the context of our families and the fact that we are busy families, we're busy people, uh, even if we're not doing a lot of things with our time or our energy, a lot of times it's right here that our thoughts are just nonstop, and out of that, we can begin to misprioritize things, and Paul is the writer of Ephesians. He's writing this to the church in Ephesus, and he's helping us to kind of kind of uh, realign things back to what really matters. And just to kind of give you a little bit of context, uh, the first three chapters of this book are heavily leaning into the gospel, which is what Jesus has done for us, that he died on a cross to save us from our sin, to, to pay the price that we could not pay. And he was resurrected to new life so that we could be resurrected to new life. 
And everything that we do, even in our family, is we live out of what Jesus has done for us. We don't live in a way to try to attain Jesus. We live out of what he has already attained for us. Does that make sense? So we're living out of the power of it, out of the, the shamelessness, the fearlessness. Like God has, has anointed us and, and, and called us out of darkness. And now we can stand. We don't, have to, we don't have to deal with fear and shame and all these things anymore because of what Jesus has done. That's a very, very quick way of saying chapters one through three, by the way. So let's keep going, though. Um, in verse five, oh, I'm sorry, in chapter four, he begins to sort of tell us how we are to live out of that, how we're supposed to live out of what Jesus has done. And now in the book of uh, Ephesians chapter five, the latter part of five and the beginning of six, he begins to talk to us about how we're supposed to live that out in the context of our family. All right, and so, so week one, we talked about, um, actually weeks one and two, we really talked a lot about the family and marriage. Week three, we talked last week about uh, kids, how we're supposed to raise our kids, the mindset behind that. And today, we're gonna talk about work. Now, for some of you, you're like, wait, this, why is this in the family series? I don't understand why we talk about work in the family series. It doesn't really help my family. I, I don't really understand. I need, I need answers for my family because my family's terrible right now. I need those answers. I already hate my job, and I don't need anything about my job, okay? Exactly. Because our family is so influenced by and identified by what we do for a living, what we're planning on doing for a living, or what we did for a living, those relationships at your workplace, somehow, some way, the drama from work always finds its way into the home, right? Always finds its way around the dinner table. And, and the thing that I want you to realize today is that not only are you as a parent or an adult dealing with that, but you're also teaching your kids how to approach all of those situations, all those relationships, their career paths. You're teaching them how to actually engage with that right now. The other day, Ariana, she's almost eight. She's our, our oldest daughter. There was something that me and Nadine were talking about. I don't remember what it was, but it was something to do with like work or something. And she said, hey, dad, so what happened with this? And she said this situation. And I'm like, how do you know about that? <laughs> she's like, well, I heard you talking about it. I'm like, it's fine, babe. Don't worry about it. You know, what, what, what's going on? She's listening and learning. And actually, I'm even when I don't realize it, I'm shaping her mindset towards work and how to approach it. So, so with that today, I'm going to say some things that are uh, going to be really easy to hear and you're going to laugh. And then there's going to be some things that you're like, I don't agree or uh, I've never thought of it that way. And that's my point. That's what I want to do today. I want to kind of stir you up when it comes to your career and your job. And, and also, young people, I'm going to be speaking a lot to you today. If you're, if you're below the age of 21, uh, I'm speaking to you because this is right where you're at, okay? You're, you're at this fork in the road in your life, and it's so important that you're thinking properly. So we're going to talk about how we should approach our work relationships and our careers as a whole. And um, again, we're covering verses 5 through 9 in chapter 6. And Verse five starts out with something that's a little bit, uh, I'll say controversial. It's, it's controversial with people who don't understand who he's talking to and what he's saying. So let me paint a picture real quick. Paul, again, he is writing this letter back to a church that he has started. And so there's a group, a room full of people who are sitting around, possibly in a circle. There's somebody standing in front of the room. And it's very, very laid back. And there's a person reading a letter that he wrote to a, like just a mixed group of people. You're talking about people who are new to the faith. Everybody's pretty much new to the faith at this point. Everybody's coming from different backgrounds, different settings, and there are moms and dads. There's parents and kids, right? There's, there's husbands and wives. There's bosses. There's employers and employees. And in this context here, he's, he talks to bond servants and slaves and masters. Now, for us, let's be honest. Whenever we hear the word slave, all of our brains, all of our hearts go to one thing. And it's a horrible American history of what that is and, and all, the, all the stories that we've read, and, and it, it's terrible. The thing is, is that a lot of people will take what Paul says here and they equate it to that. And the thing is, is it, it, he's not speaking only to that. He's speaking to a much broader base of people, but he's also speaking to people who are all sitting in a room together, okay? They're sitting and, and there's a person reading this letter. That means that masters, slaves, employers, employees, moms, dads, kids, everybody is in one room. And what you're going to see is that Paul is actually speaking to these people where they're at, 
Paul can't change the culture. The culture is messed up. But he's speaking into that culture and saying, hey, you still need to treat each other in this way. And in that, what you'll see is he speaks to bond servants. Let me explain what a bond servant is. A bond servant is a person who was owned by someone, but then they paid their debt to that person, whether it was time or money or whatever it was. They paid their debt. And they chose to stay and be a servant in the house because the, servant, the master was good, right? It might have been the best career option for them, but they stayed. And these people lived in the homes. A lot of them lived in the homes with these Ephesian believers. And so it wasn't just about mom and dad, you know, parents. It wasn't just about marriage. It was also about how is mom and dad treating their employee? How is the master, mom and dad, treating their bond servant. What's that look like? All of these families are, are very uh, you know, together. And so, so I wanted to say that because if you read this wrong, you'll, you'll look at this through a negative lens. And actually, it's not a negative lens. It's something that Paul is speaking into the culture. And he's actually raising up the culture. For instance, he talks to women. And he says, wives, submit to your husband. Husbands, love your wives. He actually does this mutual submission thing. And that time, women were way low, way down there. And he actually speaks to the men and says, no, 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 no. Treat them right. And he does the same thing here. And so I just wanted to put that out there because, you know, and, and is this is an exhaustive message on this? No, of course not. I probably didn't show it enough honor and respect that it deserves. I don't have time to really go there today. But I wanted to say that because, again, a lot of people misconstrue the Bible and they say that the Bible supports certain things that it doesn't. If anyone ever says that, they're very ignorant of what the scripture is saying and they need to do a little bit more research and, and actually try to, uh, to see what the Bible's talking about. Does that make sense? Is that, is that good? Okay. Hope I did that okay. With all that being said, Paul is speaking into this, this home and he's saying this, bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Now, think about that. Everything I just said, he says, we are bond servants of Christ. Actually, earlier in the scriptures, he refers to us as slaves of righteousness. This is actually not the, the negative sense. He's using it in the proper sense, which is like, man, I am a bondservant of Christ. Like, yeah, I could go do whatever I but I don't want to go do whatever I want. I want to serve Jesus because he is good and loving. Does it make sense? So bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. Now, we're going to take these verses and we're going to look at them through the context of really two different types of relationships, employers and employees, and also clients and someone who is providing service for a client. In this room, we've got people, somebody else signs your check, right? You don't sign your own check. You know, somebody else signs your check and, and you don't own your own business. Somebody else is basically saying yes and no and making the decisions. And you're having to submit to that in some way, shape or form. And then some of you are also, you're sort of setting the trend. You're setting the trajectory of that business. And so you're talking to all these other people and rallying them. You're the employer. And that has its own issues. And then there's some of you who basically you get hired by other people on a contractual basis or you, you're right, you do some sort of thing. And that's where it gets a little bit weird because you got one person who's saying, I need to hire you to do this. So I got the money and I'm paying you to do it. Then you got the other person that says, I got the expertise to do it. So therefore I'm in control. So you got two people that are like both the boss. How many of you know that you can't have more than one boss in a lot of times? And so that gets weird. And, and you guys have probably been in this situations before. So in, this, in these verses, he is more speaking to the employer, the person who is submitted to or underneath someone else. And he says a few things. He says, basically, obey and serve your employer like you would Jesus. Obey your employer, serve your employer like you would Jesus. To which every single person in the room groaned. Right? Like, yeah, I don't like to take it there. You know, it's not that easy. You don't, but you don't know my boss. Like you don't know him. If you knew him, then you would, right? We all have those statements. Paul doesn't really say much about that. He's like, hey, look, can you imagine the people that he's talking to? Look, some of these people were in good homes and they had, a, they had, they had good people that, that were, you know, running them. And then they had other people that were not so good. 
How awkward would it be if he's reading this to a master and a bond servant and that master that past week had really been hard on his bond servant? <laughs> that's awkward. Maybe that's actually in the room today. <laughs> like, like, you know, your, your boss is sitting over on the other side of the room and you're like, I hope that he's listening to this today. <laughs> like he came to church for a certain reason, you know, I don't know. But, um, but he says, obey and serve. And I think he's speaking directly to the heart of the matter. And, and that's what we don't like a lot of times as people especially as Americans, you don't know the context of why I said what I said. Yeah, like if you knew the situation, you'd probably side with me because I'm right. And so what happens is we justify our disobedience or our lack of service, and we always keep Jesus out of it too. Like, like anytime that I've ever justified myself, I usually wasn't also talking about Jesus at the same time. Like, yeah, out of respect for Christ, I was really thinking about how can I represent Jesus well to him, and that's why I completely just flew off the handle and, you know, threw stuff around the room. I mean, but I, I definitely ran it through the filter of, would I treat Jesus like this? And I was like, yes, I would, and I did. No, I was being sarcastic, by the way, guys. You're like, oh, that's terrible. No, of course not. We usually don't. Usually our relationship with our bosses is like this whole tit-for-tat thing. He says, I want you to actually obey and serve. I want you to get in these conversations with a sincere heart. How many of you, and, and don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been face-to-face -face with your boss and you've been just, hey, yep, yep, that, that sounds great. Yes, I agree. And then you go back to the break room or you go back on the floor, you go back to where all your other you know, fellow employees are and you rip them or you mock them or whatever the case is. I can't believe that they would actually want to do that. God, you know, that right there, first off, it's hypocritical. It's very hypocritical. It's gossip. It's all of those horrible things that we like to talk about other people, that they do that, but we don't. But we do it, right? Or some of us in this room do it. And Paul is speaking to that. And he's like, it's no good. And, I, and I'm saying it today, guys, in your places of work, if you have an employee or you have an employer, you are representing Jesus to that person in the way that you obey and serve. Now, am I saying be a doormat? There's no way that you would ever hear me say you should be a doormat. However, people say that, I ain't a doormat. You ain't gonna walk on me. Like, nah. And they actually never even begin to obey. They never even begin to serve. They don't approach the business meeting or the whatever with like, a, hey, how can I help? What can I do to make this better? And then what happens is a lot of people who have that bad attitude, then they don't get the promotion, they don't get the raise, and then they want to blame their, their boss, and then they want to get a new job, and then they start to cycle all over again. And they're always starting back over every single place that they go because they don't understand that they're really not in control. And they should really be okay with that, and they should submit. Now, do I ever... If, there's a, if somebody's in an abusive, like there's a, sometimes bosses are like that, they're abusive, you gotta find another job. Let's just be real. You know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> I'm not speaking in full extremes here. But most of the time, let's be honest, it's a disagreement. It's just a different vision. It's just a different ah, a nuance of something. And then that thing continues to grow. And then it's like, they're just so dumb. They just don't know what they're talking about. And just a little secret for all you employees, sometimes your employer, your boss actually doesn't know what to do, but in front of you, they've got to act like they know what to do. And so they poke their chest out and it's actually insecurity. So if you have discernment and you're a spirit-led believer, you might actually see that you're talking to somebody who's actually hurting and you might be able to minister to them and it might fix everything because it's not about the problem, it's about their heart. Just something to throw out there. Anyway. I'm not going to get very many amens on that, other than the employers. And you know, if you're, you're like, amen, <laughs> yes, I'm hurting. Because yeah. <laughs> everybody's staring at you, and they, you got the answers. Sometimes you don't, you know. Verse 9, he kind of switches gears, and he, and he talks to the, the employers, the masters. He talks to those who are kind of in control, in charge. But he also includes the employees in the same, the same sense. Masters, do the same to them. Now, can you imagine right here this statement, who he's talking to, the context, where somebody has been raised up in their life that if they own somebody, they can treat them like whatever they want to do. And it's actually justified in the, in the culture. And Paul says, hey, masters, I want you to do the same to them. The masters are sitting there like, that's right, obey and serve, yep. <laughs> masters do the same. 
What? You're going to talk to me too? Yeah, do the same to them. Stop your threatening. Stop holding that promotion. Stop holding that firing <laughs> over their head. It's mistreatment. It's wrong. It's abusive. And knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. He, he just brings it. He brings it eternal. He brings it to Jesus. Everybody gets very quiet. And that there is no partiality with him. The thing that Paul is saying here really is that we should treat each other like you would Jesus. We should obey and we should serve and we should treat each other in this working relationship like we would Jesus. There's not a compartmentalization of your faith away from your job. That's really, that's, that's what religion is, is compartmentalizing faith to either a rule or to some sort of day of the week and it not permeating every decision, every word, every action in, that, in your whole life. So I do these things, I'm good. And you know what? A lot of people don't talk a lot about how the working relationship should, act, should work. Because a lot of times it gets to what we're going to talk about in a second. It gets about the money and, 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 and that side of the, the work. But what about the relationship in it? And here's the big idea is that for all of us, we're teaching our kids how to operate in that way. You're teaching your kids how to be an employee or an employer or a client or whatever the case is. What happens when somebody comes to your house and they don't do the work just right? Do you haul off? Do you go nuts about it? Or do you try to help them see what you actually wanted them to do? Right? Dude, I told you to do it this way. I, oh, no, I, I told you. And I, you know what, man? You know what? I'm going to tell everybody. That's it. I'm going to blow you up. I failed to see the Christ-like attitude in that. Right? How about, well, man, you, you told me to do it this way. Well, I didn't, well you told me, and I did it, and then... And then it blows up and all of a sudden it's a giant argument. Let me tell you something. I'm talking about in the church, by the way. <laughs> Not outside the church. <laughs> I'm talking about like in the church. Anytime that there's a disagreement between two people, marriage, any relationship, there's, there's a disagreement and it continues to grow and fester, I can guarantee you that somebody along the way has been extremely selfish without a shadow of a doubt. Somebody at some point and maybe even sharing the guilt. Somebody's been selfish. And selfishness is sinful, okay? It's sinful. So really what we're talking about is a sin issue, not a personality difference, not a different, oh, well, I, I, a miscommunication. At the end of the day, miscommunication is whatever. The attitude and the way that somebody is treated because of the miscommunication, if it's wrong, it's sin. That's the standard that we have to live by, guys. Right? Anybody, anybody agree with me? I'm starting to feel kind of alone here. It's just me. Okay. No, let's haul off and yell at people and post things all over. And let's just, let's really rip them good. Right? Because that's Jesus. <laughs> no, it's not. We're called to a different way of thinking. At the, end of the day, this, at the end of the day, this kind of sums up all what we're talking about. Our attitude towards work relationships should be a reflection of our relationship with Christ. It should be. Problem is, is that maybe some people are lacking a relationship with Christ. So therefore, there is nothing to reflect on. And in that place, you can only just reflect yourself, which is going to spill out all over the place. Everybody sees it. You know what I'm saying? But you don't because you're justified. And you're not. Not biblically. Not if the Bible is our, is, our, is our standard. At some point, there should be a release. There should be forgiveness. And, and guys, look, I know that for some of you, you're like, yeah, but you don't know my job. You don't know my employer. Dude, you don't have my employees, right? Like, you're not in my line of work. You're right. But these principles apply to every single one of us, no matter where we're at. And it has, it, it literally, it doesn't matter at some point, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your, your job. At some, at some point, it's a, just about you and your heart with Jesus. Because we are good at explaining away our own faults and sins. Come on, y'all. We're good. We're master manipulators. You know? And sometimes we just have to own it. We have to own it. And so, 
So that's sort of the relationship side of our work. I want to take the remainder of the time that we have together, and I want to talk about our work. Because again, our work is so interwoven to our identity. Come on, somebody asks you, hey, what do you do for a living? You get to, it's a platform. I get to talk about what I do, right? Or, or hey, what'd your mom do? What'd your dad do? What, what, what kind of family did you grow up? Oh, white collar, blue collar, this or that. And, and that's really, that's how we frame up our, our worth sometimes. Like, how good did you do at that job? Well, man, I, man, I started off as a janitor. And then, dude, I just climbed my way up. And eventually, man, I was a vice president. And it's like, boom. And you know what? That's incredible. I'm not taking away from that. But do you see the, the pride in that? Not the negative pride. I mean, just the, like, look, I did something. I, I did this. It's great. But it becomes part of our identity. And then it can actually begin to replace the parts of our identity that are actually more important, right? So our work is extremely important. But one thing that is true is that all of us must work. Every single one of us, we've been put on the face of the planet to really work and produce but uh, here's the, part of the scripture said this, um, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord. Do you guys approach your Mondays like that? Oh, look, it's Monday. I can't wait to render my service with a good will as unto the Lord. <laughs> How many people are going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, boy, it's another day to render service with good will as unto the Lord. Dun, da, da. <laughs> no. No, actually, some of these pictures is probably more what our Monday mornings look like. Go ahead and put that first one up. <laughs> Arriving to work Monday morning. I'm dead inside. <laughs> like, like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Hey, good morning, Bob. <sighs> but wait, go to the next one. Why is Monday so far from Friday and Friday so near to Monday? <laughs> Somebody got it wrong, you know? Now, your Monday might be like Thursday morning. I don't know. Whatever your work week kind of starts. It's like <laughs> and there's always a cup of coffee there because without that, uh, we're not addicted to coffee because we're not supposed to be addicted to anything, right, Christians? <laughs> but if I don't have my coffee, I might cuss you out. Anyway, <laughs> the next thing, right? <laughs> next thing, <laughs> Monday morning coming at you like a rugby ball to the face. <laughs> it's just Whack! How many of you, it's ever Sunday, let's say you work on Monday, and it's like Sunday around five or six, and the sun starts going down, and you're like, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, just a little bit. Come on, y'all. It's like, oh, man, in three hours, four hours, like, I got to go to bed, and then I got to wake up. <laughs> Unless you're a morning person, you're like, I can't wait till I get up in the morning. I'm more like, ah, uh, snooze, snooze, snooze. You know, that's, that's my makeup. But... Right? We approach work this way. That's, that's how I know that our attitude towards work is not always with a good will as unto the Lord. Because right? we all connect with these pictures and we understand it. And Paul's like, no, guys, you're actually supposed to approach it with, with a good heart, with a good idea of, of what work is. Now, this is what I want to say to you. Work is not a curse. A lot of people say, well, I got to go to work. It's part of the curse. It's actually not. Jesus, I mean, God created man, and he actually gave us work to do before the fall. Go read the, the, the sequence of it. We were, this is what I want to say to you. God designed man in his image with the responsibility and privilege to work. It's a responsibility, yes, but it's also a privilege. How many of us actually look at it and say, man, God, I thank you that I can even get up physically and work like physically, I have health in my body. Many people miss that. And then some, they feel like maybe they're done with work because they've retired or maybe they can't physically work. But actually, work goes much further than just whether you're, you know, out in the workforce. The, 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 the word, the Bible actually really talks about the verse. He actually talks about uh, producing and keeping and maintaining Come on, if you're retired and you're still maintaining your home, you're maintaining your family, there's things that you are maintaining, you're still working. You're still in productive mode. Let me tell you something. We don't quit being productive until our heart stops beating. It, yet it might get to a point where only your words are what is producing something. But you know what? Some of the most powerful words anybody speaks is when they're about to die. 
to the moment that we have our last breath, we are producing things. We're maintaining, we're keeping. We gotta look at it that way. So when we talk about work, the reason that we get negative or the reason that we get a little bit off is because we actually confuse two different words for job or for work and it's vocation and career. And many of you are like, that's the same thing. It's actually not. When we talk about vocation, it's really about your calling, your gifting, your purpose. You might say, man, that's what gets me up in the morning. Your wiring. It's a lot deeper than career, which is what you make money, like how you make money, your income. Now, we all need a career. Everybody can agree with that. We've got to have some sort of income. There's got to be this, this thing happening. But the problem is, is that in our culture, we focus a lot more on that than we do on vocation. Now, some people are lucky enough that it all comes together and it's the same thing. They love what they do and, and they've got their, this calling and this gifting and this purpose and it's married together with how they make their money. And it's a wonderful thing. But there's a lot of you in this room, I'm, I don't wanna do, raise your hand, your boss might be here, but you're like, I can't stand my job. Like Monday is horrible because of what I have to do and I wish that I could do this over here. Young people, listen, this is a big concept for you. Even if you don't have an established career wherever you're at, it's, it's this concept of, I've got to know at the age of 17 where I'm going to work, what college I'm going to go to, what my degree's in, how much money I'm going to make, what house I'm going to live in, and where I'm going to retire, and then where I'm going to travel after I retire. At 17, <laughs> you have no clue what you're going to be doing at 65 years of age or 70. You don't know. Now, is it good to make plans? Yes. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, we need a plan. However, this whole mindset of I've got to have everything laid out because of how much I'm going to make rather than what God's called me to and designed me to do, it's really, it's a problem in our culture. When I was 17, uh, 18 years old, I graduated when I was 17, but I was 18 and, um, and I was actually, we were at this recording studio with a couple guys, a couple friends of mine, and we were all hanging out and... And, and one of them was about to graduate. Another one was actually ahead of me. And so we're all hanging out. And the guy that was running the studio, kind of like his off time, it was kind of a hobby thing. He was really good at it, though. And we're there, we're hanging out. And um, he's like, so what are you guys going to do? You know, what do you got? What's your plans? You're getting out of high school and stuff. And so we're kind of on a break. And so the other two guys or three guys, they start talking about what their plans are and where they're going to go to college and get a degree in. And, uh, and, and so he's talking to them. And, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, wait till it gets to me. <laughs> he said, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, uh, I don't know, actually. What, are you going to college? No, um, you know, I, you know, I wasn't raised up in a really rich home. And, uh, hey, hey, mom and dad, what do y'all think about that? Uh, we got nothing, so, uh, like, uh, hope you made good grades. But I uh, made B's. Oh, boy, okay. <laughs> High five. <laughs> you know, it's like, not a lot of options on that, on that, on that side of things. But we started talking, and I said, man, I'm not really sure. I'm working at the paper over here doing this and da-da-da-da. And, uh, and this guy clicked over into a mode where he began to condescend me. And he began to say things that were very, very, like, kind of mocking of the fact that I didn't know where I was headed in life. I was kind of aimless and pointless. And not pointless. That's a little bit strong. But where I was going, there was no point. I didn't know where I was headed. And it started getting, like, really, really, for me. Now, it could have been some insecurity. Don't get me wrong. But at that age, I was like, bro, get off of me. <laughs> Back off, man. And so um, I kind of clicked over into not treating everyone as you would Jesus. And I, uh, I began to tell him how I really felt about it. I said, actually, man, I don't feel like going to college, getting a degree that I don't care about, and, and being in debt, like, the, I can't pay my bills off forever, and then, like, being in a job that's dead-end job that I hate, and then looking back when I'm at the end of my life and being like, man, I wish I would have done something different. And he was, like, like, serious, calm, and he said, actually, that's exactly where I'm at. He had a six-figure job. He was killing it. He's killing it. He had the degree. He had everything. He had a big house. He had it all. But yet what we were doing on his off time was actually really what he, that's what his heart, that's what he wanted to do. That's what he was good at too. But guess what? Man, he was, he was in a lane and he was very successful. It was good, it was good. But man, there was a vocational side. Now sometimes can you have a career and a vocation and it's kind of two separate things? 
I'm not here to define all those things for you. I'm just here to talk about this mindset of, am I just worried about my career thinking that that's going to bring fulfillment and blessing and all of these things? Or am I also aware of the fact that God has a design for me? He's wired me for something. And what is that? And maybe they can be married together. But if not, what am I doing to fulfill that calling that I can look at and say, man, I'm, I'm doing what God has made me to do. And it's a, it's a tough thing. It's really two different mindsets when it comes to vocation and career. But we've got to come at it with this concept as well, that all work, all work is sacred. All work. Whether it's working with your hands, making something, you know, you're a carpenter or you're a, you know, whatever it is, or you're, you know, office or you're, you're a, you own a business. What, it doesn't matter what it is. For some of you, you're stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads. Whatever you do, that's your, that's your work, and it's sacred. There's not spiritual work and unspiritual work. Actually, in the lens of Scripture, it's all good, and it's all glorifying of God. It all matters. And that's actually a big problem with a lot of Christians when it comes to ministry. Because so many times we designate people who are in full-time ministry as those who get a paycheck for it. I'm here to tell you today, all of you are in vocational ministry. Every single one of you. If you're a believer, you're all in full-time ministry. And the people who get paid for it, if they're doing it the right way, if they're doing it with the right heart, they were doing what they're doing before they got a paycheck for it. That's how people get hired here at this church. It's like, it's not like, you know, oh, you know, well, hey, if you start paying me, then I'll start doing it. No. No, that's not, that's not how this works. But some people have that mindset. Then what happens is for people in the church and people in society, it's, well, that pastor gets paid to do all of the ministry. So now we're going to put all the work on him. You're not going to find that in the Bible. We are all being equipped as saints for the work of ministry, the work of ministry, the vocation, the calling, the gifting, the work. We're all called to it. Amen? Amen. All call to it. So these two mindsets, the vocational mindset and the career mindset, vocational mindset is more about people. It's people-oriented, right? Career mindset is paycheck-oriented. So when I go to work, is it about what I'm doing, the people, or is it more about the paycheck? Don't get me wrong, guys. I do it all for the people. If I didn't get paid for it, I'd still go and do it. That's cool if you don't have something else that's bringing money in because eventually you're going to feel the need to get a paycheck, okay? So again, I'm not talking in extremes. However, will you walk on somebody in order to get that bigger paycheck? That's career-minded. Along the way, in the vocation mindset, you're looking at the people because we're called to people, y'all. If I didn't stand here and do what I do, I would still be 100% called to give my life for people. All of us. There's different seasons. Sometimes we can give more of our time or more of our energy in certain things. I understand that. It doesn't matter, though. At the end of the day, it's what we're called to do. So do I have more of a a vocational mindset or a career mindset? Or is there a good balance in what I'm doing? It's so important that we have the proper balanced mindset. I want to speak, as we close, I want to speak to parents and I want to speak to kids. And this is sort of wrapping up our family series, but also I think this is something that is so important as we, as we move forward. Parents, we have a responsibility to help our kids discover their vocation, their calling, and resource them to that. And we hit on this last week. My dad talked, and, and I thought it was incredible. If, you're, if your son or your daughter wants to be an artist, and they're good at it, but it's not really in the family line of things. Well, daddy was a lawyer, you know, grandpa was a business owner. You want to be an artist? And you do that, you're not resourcing who they are. You're not, you're not speaking to their vocation. You might speak into their, be speaking to their career. How about you take your incredible business mind and you actually help them make a business out of their vocation, out of their calling, and you resource that and you build them up in that. 
just an example, but we've got to be aware of that because in culture, we're taught to, to raise our kids to go to a good college and find a successful career rather than to disciple their soul and resource their vocation. Can I let you into my mind and my heart about my kids? I don't fret about what they're going to do for a living. I don't. That's a dime a dozen, honestly. You know what I think about a lot? Jesus, I want them to know you. God, Lord, save them. I'm going to be the best example I can, but God, you have got to do a miracle that you would save their soul. That's, that's what I pray about. Everything else is just fun. What do you want to do? What do you want to be? You like to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, there's, there's, a, there's a bigger heartbeat going on, right? For kids, I'm going to speak to you again. You might even be in your 30s and you're still looking for what you're going to do. Young people, God has designed you for something incredible. He knows you and he's made you and he's designed you to do something incredible in his kingdom. He's wired you that way. And I want to tell you this. Don't limit his plan for you and your life based solely on what gets you the bigger house, the bigger paycheck, the bigger voca- uh, vacation spots. Don't limit God's plan to that. Because it's actually, if you get it, come on, all you people that have actually gotten that in the room, maybe you've even retired, now you're traveling, you're doing all that. You actually now look back and you see the value of your work and you see the value of your family and all of those things. So maybe you could amen me a little bit, but right? At the end of your life, you'll look back and realize that. Man, wouldn't it be great if we started life with that mindset? And I want to I'll tell you young people to do this as well. Prayerfully decide what your career path is, prayerfully. And this is what this looks like. And this never stops. God, everything that I am and everything that I have, my gifts, my abilities, my health, my finances, it all comes from you. You're my source. And God, I am, I am submitted to you and I'm surrendered to your plan. So God, would you take my giftings, my abilities that you gave to me in the first place, and would you show me what I am supposed to do? Help me, guide me in the proper direction, but I want you to get the glory for it and the credit for it. That's what, that's what it looks like, and that's what it sounds like. I prayed that prayer so many times in my life, and I still pray it all the time. I pray it more whenever I'm actually, um, I'm feeling lost. I'm feeling kind of like foggy. I'm like, God, I'm trusting you, and I'm submitting it to you. You never stop doing that. And for some of you, you're in a career, you're making a lot of money, and maybe you still need to continue to pray that prayer. God, how do you want me to use what I'm doing to further advance your kingdom, to further help people? How can I? We never stop praying those prayers. I want to close with this. There was a man in the Bible, and he's, he's referred to as the rich young ruler. And Jesus is traveling around, and, and this man comes up, and he says, uh, he says good teacher. He says, I, I have, you know, I, I've... I'm a really good person. You know, I've done all these great things, but how does someone inherit eternal life? How does it really, like, how does it happen? And Jesus goes through this list of things and he's like, you know, obey these commandments and, and, and do this and do that. And, and the man's like, I've done it all. I've, I've done it all. And yeah, I'm successful. Look, the guy had money. Come on, he's the guy. He, he graduated high school with honors. Come on, he, he went to the to the college that you want to go to. He got the degree that he needed and he got the job and he's been very good. And you know what? He's done it in a very moral, proper way. He's a good dude. And he's successful and he goes to Jesus and he's talking to him and Jesus says, hey, that's great. He's like, I've done all those things. I've done, all, I've done the commandments. I've done all that. It says that Jesus, basically, he discerns something in him. He's talking to him. He's going back and forth and, and, and he discerns something in this young guy. And Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sell all of those houses, sell all of it, get rid, sell everything, liquidate your life and come follow me. I want you to take that, that mind and that morality and all those things. I want you to use that fully to advance the kingdom of God. And it says that this young guy, his face, his countenance kind of fell and he turned away. He was distraught and he was really dejected because he had a lot of money. And his dependence at some point shifted from 
doing all of those things for the glory of God. And somewhere along the way, it became about his kingdom instead of God's. Somewhere, it might have been a conversation. It might have been that, that new house that it changed his mindset from, I'm just, I just need my needs met to now I want those things. And that one thing is what caused him to walk away. Now, did, was he saved? Did God, uh, did, was he forgiven? I have no idea. All I know is that in that moment, there was an idolatrous heart where he had put his own desires, his own success above God. And guys, look, in our lives, let's just be honest. I can put myself in that same place. Do y'all know how difficult it is and how much awareness we have got to have spiritually, emotionally, physically about why we are doing what we do? Daily. This is not, oh, today I'm going to think about, am I doing all things for God or not? No, no, no. It's like tomorrow morning when you wake up, and then it's like at lunchtime, whenever you're about to go back to work and your attitude kicks in negatively, and then it's when you're leaving work or you're, you're about to head into this other meeting, your attitude and your heart, and do you pray continuously without ceasing? When you're about to walk into that, that confrontational meeting, are you saying, Jesus, I want to represent you well in this moment? All right, when you're about to go to your boss and ask him something, do you pray that God would lead your words and help you to represent him well? It's every day. It's nonstop. Because deception is just, it's just seeping in. Some of you are like, well, you're a pastor, so it might be kind of easy. Do you know how many times that I am praying and asking God to check my heart for why I do what I do? Constantly. We all are in the same boat. What's our vocation? Because that is more important than our career. Let me pray with you. Father, we are humble before you right now. We're praying, God, that you would continue to work on us, change us, to be more like you, to represent you well. God, all of us in this room, we find our, ourselves in a, in a spot where, man, I'm a little bit weak in that area, or man, I've been thinking wrong over here. But God, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your word that realigns us back to where we need to be. And so in this room right now, God, we all open up our hearts to you and we ask you to continue to work in us, work on us. We are submitted and surrendered to your call on our lives. God, I thank you for your giftings and the callings that you have on us. And God, I'm praying that in many people that you would awaken those giftings, that you would awaken those callings. God, where maybe some of us have been more career-minded than vocation-minded, Lord, help us to, to begin to see things through this other lens. How can we represent you well and glorify you? As we're here in this moment, everybody's got their heads bowed and eyes closed. And you're just thinking about your heart and your life. Some of you know that you're actually pretty far from God, that you don't have a good relationship with him. It's more of a religious thing than it is a relationship. And for you, your first thing, your first focus is to actually focus in on, do I know God? Do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe that he died on a cross for me? Am I receiving that by faith through his grace? Am I, am, I, am I doing that or am I trying to attain some sort of level of knowledge or, or character or, or behavior that then I would earn who he is? And, and if in this moment you realize that you're in a place where you're broken, God's here, he's listening to you. And if you're open right now, I wanna pray a prayer and you just give your heart to Jesus. Say something like this. Say, God, I, I surrender all that I am to you. I lay down my effort I laid down my failures. God, you have a plan for me, and I know that. I realize that today, but that plan starts with Jesus, starts with the cross. And I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me, for my sin, for my failure. And today I receive your righteousness, your plan for me. Thank you for your grace. God, that you have reached out and grabbed me out of a dark place and placed my feet on a rock and set my gaze to you. I thank you for your grace for me. I receive you today. I repent of my sin and I turn to you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Come on, let's give it up for those who prayed that prayer. Man.
You know, our life sometimes can get complicated. And you know, what's awesome about God is that he found you. For those of you who prayed that prayer, you know, all the circumstances and the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of our life really led up to this moment in time where God does a miraculous work and he calls you into the kingdom of light, out of the kingdom of darkness. And so it's just such an incredible thing. It's a mystery, this gospel that we preach, but God makes himself known to mankind through Jesus Christ. And so again, if you prayed that prayer, that's you. And uh, you know, one of the main ways that God resources you on this journey of following him is connecting you to the body of Christ, his people, we call the church. And uh, so welcome to the family of God. It's, it's a great place to be. I've been in the family of God for almost 20 years. And so here's the way we kind of help you connect to the family of God here, just so you can get to know some people, find out what your next steps are. We have a welcome home card right in the seat pocket in front of you. If you take that card and fill it out, just take some time and fill it out. There'll be some buckets at the doors when you're exiting today and just drop it in there. And we'll reach out to you this week. We're not gonna haggle you. We just wanna give you some next steps with God because we're excited about what decision you made today. As a matter of fact, all of heaven rejoiced in what happened in your life today. So let's give it up one more time, Northwood, for those who prayed that prayer. Maybe you prayed online. We're, 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 we're excited for you as well. So let's go ahead and stand to our feet. You know, it's just an incredible service uh, great message from Pastor Jordan. And I know some of you were thinking, man, I, I'm in a quandary. I, I really I really don't really know. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do next. And you might be in a career. You might be going after a career. We're gonna have a prayer team right here. And uh, these people are here to agree with you in prayer. They're ordinary people. We believe in the power of prayer and God answers our prayers. And you might need a miracle in your life. You might need a healing. You, you just might be in despair. These people are here to pray with you. So make yourself available to that. Uh, there's four ways to give here at Northwood Church. We're a giving church. And if this is your first time here and you're a guest with us, don't feel any pressure. But if you're, if you're a regular attender here, feel a lot of pressure. No, I'm just kidding. We kind of lied about that. You know, God does love a cheerful giver. Um, we believe giving is worship. And uh, so you just pray to God what you should give and uh, he'll answer. He will. I've got an important announcement to make right now. Really important. How many of you are 55 and up? Baby boomers in the house. Is that right? We got a few. Come on, lift your hand high. Be proud of your baby boomer. All right, all right, all right. How many baby boomers enjoy bingo? <laughs> We got some bingo fans in here. Yeah, I mean, look, as I was talking, we got, we, look, in the rear of this auditorium, we have some uh, wonderful baby boomers over there, some prime timers, Ken and Kathy, wave at us over there. And they're, they're taking bingo signups. And by the way, it's not gonna cost you anything to play bingo uh, after the first, and you can't sneak your way in. I was talking to some 40-year-olds uh, after the first service, and they're like, just, can you tell me where the bingo is? I said, no. I'm not going to tell you where the bingo is. You got to be 55 and up. We are a generational church, right? Yeah, we're, we're some of you white-haired, gray-haired, old men and women. I hope I make it to be an old person one day. We're having fun, by the way. This is we're just laid back. We're a family. Sign up for bingo in the rear of this auditorium, and we'll see you next week. You guys have a great afternoon.